Listen to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Tuesday, May 7th, and lots of good stuff this week. National Teacher Appreciation Week, Nurse Appreciation Week, and uh, Director of Urban and Inner City Mission and Church Planning Appreciation Week as well. <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> Why not? The Reverend Dr. Steve <laughs> Shave in the studio today, and uh, fellow runner at the Christian Friends of New Americans 5K this weekend. This, Facebook this, proof. Oh, there is Facebook proof that this guy was booking it, man. Uh, I looked down at my watch, and I was like, this, is, this guy's doing a seven-minute mile, and then he passes me. So it's like, he's doing less than a seven-minute mile. This is, like, super fast. I realize I need to add sprinting to my <laughs> fitness because I was hurting. Uh, that was a missing link. Speed but training is good was, for you. Yeah. It was a, a good event, too. I mean, it was nice to be out there and, oh, and to day. see. It was a beautiful day. And to see uh, the Christian Friends of New Americans, the refugees who yeah. have uh, come to the U.S. and, and found friends in uh, many Christians here in the St. Louis area ready to support them and welcome them. You headed to D.C. not too long ago. Um, tell us about what you were participating in in this. It was, it was a conference, a summit. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think you could call it a summit. It was basically putting a bunch of stakeholders together in a room to say, we have a massive problem and none of us can do this alone, but how can we work together uh, across the spectrum to make a difference in this opioid epidemic? Hmm. So what? who was there and, and what did you, are there like secrets you can't share? No. <laughs> what did, I don't know, you're in DC. Uh, what, what did you, what no did you discuss? Yeah. Right. <laughs> uh, so so the, the people that were there represented kind of local governments, uh, especially city leaders, but then also many faith-based organizations that are already working in the opioid crisis and have recovery programs and different parts and pieces that go into the bigger picture of how to make a difference. So it was a gathering of, of these like minds, again, mm-hmm. to find out how does the local uh, city government work well with their faith-based organizations. So yeah. what, what were you able to bring to that with, with your background and, and yeah. with, uh, with what the LCMS is doing uh, with, with Urban Inner City Mission? Yeah, it was kind of interesting how it even worked out. We got an email basically from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services on behalf of the Surgeon General um, saying we're putting together a summit, we're looking for faith-based organizations. The email made its way to me um, <laughs> kind of through the channel and it was this interesting forward 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 yeah. it's like hey is this you is this you is this you and then it's like oh heck yeah so um so we get we get to me and i saw that it was specific i mean it was so specific it was specific about uh not only the opioid epidemic epidemic but how does workforce development play into the recovery process and so i actually got a call from uh, the u.s department of health and human services talked about what we have going on in urban and inner city mission and we have a a specific program (laughs) and we're one of maybe a few if any national bodies i mean there's local places Mm -hmm. that are doing things in their own areas but to have a national initiative to actually be about workforce development and job readiness and part of that being to help people that are in poverty and addiction, have mental health issues, whatever whatever it is that puts them kind of in that gap in terms of employment. Um, so they were ex- super excited that they found a church body that actually has a national initiative and just talking to me and, you know, they picked up on my passion and compassion for people that, uh, um, you know, are suffering from 
the opioid epidemic and poverty and the like. So anyways, it was just kind of neat how it all played itself out. But that's that's what we brought to the table. What are how real is the opioid epidemic in the mm. US? Mm. I mean, I mm-hmm. feel like we may be yeah. we may not really fully grasp just how I don't think how big do. of an issue this is. I mean, it and, and it's, you know, it's it's kind of like how we do things today with our media. We just overhype mm-hmm. everything. You cannot overhype the opioid epidemic enough. It really is a, to the point of being a national crisis as much as anything else that ails us as a nation. Um, there's so many factors that go into that, but just suffice it to say, when the Surgeon General is talking about his own brother mm. being affected by this and the need for us to get past the stigma um, that happens with people that fall into this, because every single walk of life, rural, small town, rich, poor, I don't think probably any family in America isn't somehow affected by this, by somebody that they're close to. Absolutely. Athletes all the time, yeah. you know, pe- good people, strong people, you know, you name it, all walks of life. But uh, but once, you know, they, they get into the maybe painkillers mm-hmm. or whatever it is, um, it just takes this downward spiral. And kind of being the urban inner city guy, you know, that happens. I get the calls from the, the city pastors that it's the first time that they had a heroin addict that uh, overdosed in mm-hmm. their bathroom and died in the church property. Wow. And they're just devastated by this. But it's it's way too common. Let's mm-hmm. just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. The, the heartbreaking stories of, of young athletes yeah. who, I mean, they had an injury, they yep. were prescribed something and then, you know, you're, you're addicted. And I hear it over yeah. and over. Lives just completely destroyed all beginning with just a, some sort of an injury. Yeah. yeah. Yep. What, what do we um, bring to the table as Lutherans uh, that, that sets us apart with um, our understanding of witness and mercy um, and our understanding of, of the gospel and, mm. and bringing Christ's love to people. Yeah, so certainly for us, witness is always at the center and the altar and the pulpit and the font are kind of the anchors of any kind of work we do and wanting to tell people this good news. That's the one thing that will truly transform. That's the one thing that people need to cling to, especially when they're recovering from addiction. But I think us as Lutherans, one of our greatest strengths is our sanctity for human life. Mm. Every single life, whether it's that bag lady suffering from mental illness or if it's the panhandler, you know, who's got a drug addiction problem. Um, we understand the sanctity of that life. We understand the theology of the cross and the hiddenness in, in our suffering. Um, and so we can, we can see in others that this is the apple of God's eye. This is, this is a soul that Christ himself, the son of God was sent to save. And I think that's one of the, the greatest strengths that we have is that we, we understand this compassion because we realize in ourselves, we are poor, miserable sinners. We are beggars before God. We, we have nothing to offer. We have no strength in ourselves, but, and, on the other hand, we see even in the least of the least that this truly is one that God uh, God loves. This is his lost coin. This is his lost sheep. And so I think um, just from a theological perspective, I think we have so much to offer in terms of understanding who people are in God's eyes. That speaks uh, to me that, that speaks volumes. That's so different than, you know, a few decades ago. Well, maybe it's more than a few now when we saw the rise of the social gospel that um, the, the, the gospel is really about getting yourself cleaned up so that you can be um, so you can be a better person. So you can be better before God. You can yeah. be um, it, make that distinction for us. What is how is this so 
different than the the social gospel um, that we heard a couple of decades ago, and we still see remnants of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, I think we have a good understanding of the two kingdoms, and part of that is our understanding of the doctrine of vocation, and that this is a first article gift, and there are going to be people who fall into that gap where, you know, there's a strong economy and jobs are on the uptick, and yet at the same time, because of their circumstance, they're kind of caught in this cycle of hopelessness. And so we understand that uh, even in Matthew 25, when Jesus talks about the vineyard owner and he walks up to these guys standing around in the marketplace and says, why are you guys standing around idle? It wasn't, you know, Proverbs speaks a lot about sloth and sloth brings poverty and hunger. And, you know, (laughs) it's not a good thing. We understand that from a long gospel perspective. But on the other hand, you know, when when the owner walks up and says, why are you guys just standing around idle? It's because nobody's hired them. And and there are people that are in that situation that no one will hire them, whether they're getting out of prison or they're in this cycle of hopelessness because their circumstances um, keep them from getting work. Uh, you know, they're, they're just kind of stuck in that loop. So when we do this, uh, to answer your question, Andy, um, you know, we, we think of this kind of in the, the first article and also the left-hand kingdom, um, that this is connected to the gospel. It is. It is how we show mercy and compassion. Um, Luther describes uh, when it says, thou shalt not kill, that includes if there is a way that we can help somebody. Um, We as Christians have a responsibility for this. Um, And it's not just simply enough for us to go and to do this good work and say that this is it, you know, and I think that's what was so lacking in the social gospel is it's basically, okay, we, we've helped that person. Now we've told them the good news. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> we understand that this needs to be connected to the word and sacrament to the church. I think that's what is so different. We don't say it's enough to be fed. We say you need your spiritual food. It's not enough to have your home. You need to have your eternal spiritual home. That's, that's what distincts. Hmm. That is, I mean, that's, wow. <laughs> I feel like we need two more hours to think, really hash that out. I think out. we need a part two of this one. Right. We do, we do. And I think that, um, you know, there was a great story in The Reporter on this, and one of the ways that a uh, congregation in Cincinnati is doing this mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. I think we need to share that story as well. And Absolutely. thanks to uh, thanks to our friends over at The Reporter, the yeah, LCMS Reporter, for sharing uh, those yeah. great stories. It, it's just outstanding. But I think this, is, this also speaks volumes to why um, we as a church need to be at the table at summits like Mm -hmm. this too because it's not social gospel it's when the surgeon general himself is inviting you in you've got to say something the Reverend Dr. Steve Shave Director in Urban and Inner City Mission and Church Planning for the LCMS Office of National Mission thanks so much for being our guest on the Coffee Hour today thank you I'm Andy Bates I'm Sarah Golseth Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.